0: Oh, yes, long time no
1: see. (laughs) Okay. Hello and welcome to Left Takes on the EU, a podcast from the left in the European Parliament. I am Marcella Via and in this fourth episode we are going to talk about a complicated EU acronym, SOTEU. It stands for the State of the European Union and it's a speech given every year by the President of the European Commission to the European Parliament. In the speech, the Commission President is supposed to offer a picture of the current challenges facing people in Europe and put forward some proposals to tackle them over the year ahead. However, far from realities facing working people in Europe, Commission President Ursula von der Leyen essentially used the speech to boost about her record so far and float some questionable ideas. I think this is the moment now for
2: European migration management policy. So I urge this House and the Member States to speed up the process. Because if you ask most Europeans, they would agree that we should act to curb irregular migration, but they would also agree that we have to act to provide a refuge to those forced to flee.
1: It was a speech full of spin, specially crafted sound bites, and lofty buzzwords. Just after Lions finished her presentation in Strasbourg, my colleague David Landy interviewed the left co presidents Martin Skirdewan and Manon Aubry to get their reactions, chat about the content, and try to figure out what was really being said in this year's hotel.
3: Ursula von der Leyen, a big part of her speech this morning was the pandemic. Martin, among the issues mentioned there in our pop and also uh, by von der Leyen was uh, vaccines and the question of, I mean, this is the big issue of the year and even last year. How do you assess what she said and what is her team's track record on this issue for you?
0: Well, first of all, I would say my general assessment of that uh, State of the Union address is that she's been putting forward a lot of self appraisal also when it comes to, uh, let's say, the vaccination campaign. Yeah. Uh, but we all remember that uh, the start of the vaccination campaign has been very, very bumpy in the European Union, that it was very delayed, that uh, first of all, it started with those transparent contracts between the Commission and Big Pharma, etc. We were advocating for transparency there, but until now, we do not know all the details. But then that um, vaccination campaign rollout and even though in the meantime, let's say the health situation has become better in the European Union, we are still facing huge challenges because they are still not willing, there is still not the political will from the side of the Commission to lift or to waive the patents. And that means that uh, the protection of the patents, that means that the intellectual property rights still remain with the big pharma companies. And we cannot provide, let's say, the global south with enough vaccine. And that means that we are all still in danger because as long as not all of the population is vaccinated, we are still, let's say, facing the threat of some mutants, etc., getting back to Europe
3: as yeah, well. I yeah, I think our words were like a, a call for uh, speeding up of global uh, vaccinations uh, globally, but the Commission is the one blocking the, the issue, right? That it's by is us.
0: exactly the case, and that is also something that I mentioned during my intervention today. I told her that not only more than 100 states at the global level now are demanding to lift the patent, uh, the intellectual property rights, in order to distribute the patents also to to other uh, producers all over the world but the problem is that she is really not listening not only to those voices on the street but also to those voices the responsible voices that we are here in the parliament
3: okay so um also, inequality, Manon was—I uh, didn't hear much mention of that uh, this morning—but last week we got a, a survey from Eurobarometer, which confirms that inequality is top of the agenda for for EU citizens. Um, what did you think about what she's, did? She touch on those issues, uh, maybe the linked issue of tax justice, and what did you? How do you assess like the social aspects uh, of this hotel?
2: Sort of I think that's the the, the, the big the biggest uh, missed opportunity. She it looks like she wanted to be, you know, yeah, it was really an exercise of uh, uh, self-satisfaction, uh, like everything went well, and not talking at all about social issues. That at the core of the issues, she she did not mention the word poverty, she did not talk about all of those people like losing their jobs, as if this should, shouldn't be the worry of the European Union, but I think it should be one of the top priorities. At least those are the priorities from the people on the ground. So it's really striking that she did not mention it and um, she covered like a little bit. At some point she mentioned, she, she said something like uh, big companies have to pay their fair share of taxes. Price.
3: Yeah,
2: well, we agree. <laughs> but then why don't you talk about, let's say Ireland, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, tax servants inside the European Union? You know, we're tired of those words, again, tax dodging, that we're hearing scandal after scandal but it's not followed by action. So the key question for me is who's going to pay the price of the crisis? This is an economic crisis now. So who's paying for it? Is it the billionaires that increased their wealth by 30% in a year? Is it the companies that made extra profits thanks to the pandemics, including the big pharma? Or is it the people who are already, you know, hardly finishing up their months? Well, the answer for now, for the commission, is precisely to let the people pay for it. Even more, we'll talk about it in terms of climate justice. They will even pay also for the climate. Mm. But she, she did not you know, take any lesson from the pandemic and conclude that, yes, you know, those economic rules at the European level, they're stupid. The 3% deficit rule is completely, you know, it doesn't have any economic reality anymore. And we need to support those in poverty, we need to definitely end this rule. Well, this rule is going to come back. It might be changed a little bit, but it's going to come back. So in the end, she's not talking about the real life of people. She's not talking about poverty. She's not tackling inequality and not you know, translating her words into action in terms of tax justice.
3: Yeah, and of course, as you say, the issue of inequality and in tax justice can be linked quite easily to the issue of climate justice because those uh, things need to be funded, someone needs to, to, to pay. And you're saying so far it's it's been uh, the poorest who are, who are paying for that. On the climate stuff though, um, so she presented the packages that have come up from uh, the European Commission over the last year, particularly just before the summer, um, as a major achievement. Uh, Is what's being done enough to adequately uh, tackle the climate uh, crisis and stick to our agreements even at a baseline uh, to to what was agreed in Paris five years ago? What do you think of her, her chat on that?
2: So this package is problematic in several aspects. First, they set an objective of a reduction of 55% of greenhouse emissions by 2030. This objective per se is falling short and and way below the objective that we should set just to meet the Paris Agreement, which is like the minimum baseline. It should be 65%, so there's already a 10% gap. First problem. Second problem, Well, even with the 55%, actually they're not in line because they don't want to change the policies that precisely led us to this climate wall. She she did not talk at all about free trade agreements. They keep signing some. She did not talk at all about agricultural policy. and We keep having a very productive agricultural policy that is responsible for CO2 emissions. She did not talk about how to fund the transition. And third problem, Well, the the main thing that they're proposing is basically to let the market solve the issue. Well, if the market would be able to save the climate issue, I think we would have noticed it by now. And in practice, they will make a a carbon market, they will extend it um, uh, to um, transport and housing, which means that households are going to pay the price for it. Just just two numbers that, that are relevant for this, it will increase um, the bill for households for uh, fuel by 370 euros a year and for heating by 420 euros a year. So not only she wants the poorest to pay the crisis, the social crisis, but she wants them to also pay for the climate crisis, while actually we should ask for those that are responsible of the most CO2 emissions, big companies.
3: Right, okay. Um, so. On another issue that was mentioned and we do hear a lot of, I mean that's an example of greenwashing, we hear a lot of uh, you know nice words about other issues too like migration and just like last year uh, we heard uh, von der Leyen present a lot of promises and good intentions on welcoming refugees and asylum seekers. Um, So I think the quote was the new pact on migration and asylum, the one that came out in October, gives us everything we need to manage uh, the different types of situations we face in terms of uh, migration. Um, if what the Commission's president is saying, why are we still getting so many reports of, you know, deaths and violence at the EU's borders and uh, in the Mediterranean?
0: Because the effect of migration that they are aiming and that to implement is already part of the problem, because border violence and pushbacks. Are one of the or two of the means in order to, let's say, uh, scare people away from Europe, from even entering Europe. And it is also part of that logic to destroy, and by purpose, to destroy the individual rights to asylum. So, what usually, uh, what actually Europe is uh, becoming is that what we describe as fortress Europe and is the only objective of this uh, migration pact is to keep and scare people away from the European Union. But maybe I can add something to what Manon just said, because this very much, let's say, is linked to what you have just described when it comes to social and climate justice. Um, Ursula von der Leyen this commission has clearly set her mind on following only the logic of the market and following only the interests of the big Economies, so let's say. And people coming here without having a stake somehow, but having the right for protection or finding shelter, seeking shelter here in the European Union, are not part of that logic. So, of course, they try to push them away, keep them away from the European Union.
3: Right. And, of course, this is uh, linked perhaps to the, the situation in Afghanistan. I think. Uh, Martin, you said in your reaction speech uh, this morning that there was no lessons learned from the Afghanistan crisis uh, by the Commission, uh, and peace and democracy does not come on military planes. Um, Manel, for many, the Commission's policy shortcomings have become more evident uh, in the last few weeks uh, as this crisis has developed, the Taliban takeover, etc. The developments in Afghanistan have resulted here in in Europe in a bit of a discussion about security, or a narrative uh, developing about security. Um, What did you think of von der Leyen's proposals on militarization that she came up with? They were quite uh, new and uh, seemed to uh, stretch quite far from what she said in the past.
2: What's really striking is that I think almost everyone would agree to say that the intervention in Afghanistan is a big fail. I mean, 20 years later, they leave the country, they spend more than, than, than 2,000 billions of, of dollars into that war, the country is completely left apart, and, and the situation is obviously terrible on the ground in terms of human rights protection. So it's, it's clear for everyone it's a failure, and the lesson that they take from there is like Sure, it's a fail, so let's build a European defense, which is in itself connected to the NATO that is responsible for the war in Afghanistan. So I'm like, wait a minute, That's, at which point can you draw that conclusion? You should rather draw the other conclusion that you should move away from the NATO. And the problem with the the, the, the European defense program, uh, not only that they, spend, they want to spend more money, like more than 25 billions of, of euros, but it's also that is that is 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 just like in line with the NATO, and I think when the EU is talking about independence and all of this, well, again, this is not really translated in, in into words, and um, and we can see that in in any case, they it's the the only way they think for them for the EU to exist on the international scene. Uh, she announced that they will host. A, a a a big summit with Emmanuel Macron. Emmanuel Macron is always like the first to 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 show muscles like they want to show muscles but wait if you want to show muscles I have other ideas that maybe you could protect European industries and they will they would show that the EU is 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 not dependent on, on other areas in the world. Those are maybe solutions that they could explore instead of just like more and more like investment into war. They want to reduce VAT to 0% on um, on
3: weapons. weapons.
2: And then you're like, okay, so the EU forbids a 0% VAT on goods that are the most necessary, like, Mm. I don't know, pasta uh, or rice, like the things that we buy on a daily basis, but they're going to have a 0% VAT On those weapons? Yeah. Come on.
3: Yeah, yeah. That was a a strange part. Moving a little bit, I mean, staying on the question, I mean, because this is related to human rights, obviously the situation in Afghanistan is a a, a human rights issue as well. She said later on in her speech, we are determined to defend values and we will never waver in that determination. So, I don't think she actually mentioned specific governments, uh, but on the question of kind of rule of law, the way some governments have used this pandemic to crack down on fundamental rights, on women's rights, on LGBTIQ plus rights in their countries, how can the EU keep portraying itself as a champion of democracy and and freedom if uh, the Commission has, I, I, I mean, how have they stood up to to what's going on in certain member states in a serious way for you?
2: Again, that's a a key example to show how weak is the European Union and the gap between what they're saying and what they're doing in practice. And on the rule of law that was not really explicitly mentioned in, in, in her speech, well, sometimes they say, oh, we need to Uh, be careful, uh, you know, Hungary and and, and Poland and they might threaten them a little bit but they never go up to actions. Mm. And what's taking place in a number of EU countries in terms of rule of law, fundamental freedoms and human rights is terrible. Mm. It's going against the fundamental principles of the European Union. The main reasons why the European Union should exist actually, looking at how the independence of the justice, of the judiciary system. Is questioned in Hungary, uh, seeing how LGBTQ uh, um, communities are targeted in Hungary, Poland, but we can think also about Slovenia. So yeah. we see how little by little the far right discourse, but also actions are taking over in the European Union, with the European Union staying more or less silent, but for sure not acting. And I think this is very dangerous because at the end of the day, the EU might kill itself if they're not protecting the fundamental rights of the people. So we want to say that we also on the side of those people, all of the ones fighting for the independence of the judiciary system, of the media, the freedoms um, and the rights of uh, LGBTQI communities, we're there to, to say this to the European Commission and to make sure that they do take actions um, and there are sanctions against those countries.
3: So, um, unfortunately, people like Viktor Orban have had a a good pandemic, as they say. The other people who've had a good pandemic are the Silicon Valley uh, billionaires, who have uh, non-stop uh, kept profiting over the last uh, year and a half, massively despite all their uh, tax dodging and attacks on our democracy and privacy. Martin, can the EU play a role in reining in big tech? Does the EU want to play a role in reining in big tech? tech and how can we make them serve the public interest ultimately?
0: Yeah well at least um, the commission pretends to to um, rein in or that they wish to rein in the big tech companies but um, they put forward two proposals the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act and both do not uh, meet these ends so to say because um, they put forward there is not um, enough to actually break the monopolies to rain on big tech to somehow uh, define how platform core services will be operated by the platforms etc etc so this is it, it is quite detailed but in the end you can just say they will not break the monopolies they will not open up the market for small and medium-sized enterprises for innovative startups by doing so and in the end neither are data nor consumer rights will be protected properly. So this is what is on the table for now, but they still pretend that they want to rain on big tech. But this is, uh, I think, not what the end result of these negotiations about the Digital Markets Act like and Digital Services Act like mm. will be. I think we should uh, still aim, and this is what we are doing in the negotiations as left, um, we should still aim at a, let's say, clear framework for thorough uh, data protection. consumer rights protection and also for the protection of uh, vulnerable people who somehow want of course and need to participate in the digital world because everybody now needs to participate in the digital world and we need somehow to define how this is possible also in a way protecting vulnerable people also economically weaker people enable them to participate in that and this is what we have in mind there as a left social aspects data protection And consumer rights protection, breaking up the big monopolies, and letting at least the commission know
3: how to do that. Right, because I mean, that movement about uh, data privacy, about consumer rights, uh, and big tech is really up against us. I saw uh, big tech is by far the biggest spender on uh, lobbying in Brussels. Spends about 100 million uh, per year in in the city lobbying EU institutions. Um, How do you tackle that kind of scale? Is it just getting as many people as possible involved. How do we deal with that? Well,
0: I took a clear decision there, and I think I'm the only shadow rapporteur who did so. I will not meet with big tech, so I will not get lobbied by them. That is a clear political decision. Mm. But I meet, of course, with NGOs, with scientists, with people who are interested in the matter, and Mm. discuss with them what would be best, what could we put forward. But I will not get lobbied by big tech.
3: Okay, all right. Um, so we've kind of come to the end of our time now. Uh, just a moment for one final de from our co-presidents in your own language. Uh, Maintenant, s'il si vous plaît.
2: Euh, je vais utiliser un article de la Déclaration des droits de l'homme et du citoyen, qui dit nous sommes libres et égaux en droit. Euh, et c'est bien cette égalité et ces droits que nous défendons ici au Parlement européen. Et donc euh, on aura besoin que Cette voix de la révolution citoyenne qui est née en France se traduit aussi par un mouvement en Europe et donc comptez sur nous pour uh, continuer le combat ici au Parlement européen.
3: Ok, merci Manon. Bitte Martin. Uh, danke
0: David. Ich habe meine Rede heute uh, so beendet, dass ich Ursula von der Leyen darum gebeten habe, eine klare Idee von der zukünftigen politischen Entwicklung in der Europäischen Union zu entwickeln, weil diese Idee komplett in ihrer Rede gefehlt hat. Und da sie gefehlt hat, habe ich ja ein Angebot unterbreitet, nämlich die Entwicklung eines sozialen Schutzraumes, der durch die Europäische Union repräsentiert wird. Sozialer Schutzraum im Sinne von einer starken öffentlichen Daseinsvorsorge, weil Applaus mir einfach nicht reicht für diejenigen, die tatsächlich in der Pandemie ihren Kopf hingehalten haben, sondern die brauchen bessere Löhne und bessere Arbeitsbedingungen. Ein sozialer Schutzraum im Bereich der Digitalisierung, über das habe ich gerade schon gesprochen, aber auch ein sozialer Schutzraum im Bereich der Klimagerechtigkeit, damit eben nicht die Ärmsten und Ärmeren tatsächlich doppelt für die Klimakrise zu zahlen haben. Und Manon hat das vorhin ausgeführt, das heißt sozialökologischer Umbau, sozial-digitaler Wandel und starke öffentliche Daseinsvorsorge und soziale Sicherungssysteme.
3: Okay, danke Martin. You understood it all. I really need to work on my German. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. <lacht> Did you? No, research. I still
2: need to improve my German, okay. but that's the beauty of the European <laughs> Union. We can come from different countries, that's but it. still it's fight for the same aim of social justice. That's being in Germany right. or in France. Exactly.
3: And um, do sorry. this together. No, yes. I'm just say we do this together. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. So I think we're up. Uh, thanks, Martin. Thank you, Manon. Yeah, uh, big thanks to all the team, the technicians here that made this uh, possible. And thanks for watching. Thanks for following. Bye.
1: Okay, that's all for now. You'll find more info and analysis on the hotel speech on our website, left.eu. Thank you for listening and see you back on our next episode. If you still haven't done so, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, and tell us your opinion. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at theleft.eu. Venceremos y será hermoso!